Not ready? Too bad. Head back, face forward, and hold on like you mean it. Review time, the ever-flowing river. Come with us on today's podcast to a time before man, when the river flowed through a newborn world and giants walked the earth. Welcome to Jurassic Park, The Ride. My name is Luke Carroll, and please welcome my co-host, the man still wishing he could visit Hadrosaur Cove, Dominic Lacey. The most disappointing part of the Jurassic Park ride is... I have no interest in thrills. Why am I going on this relaxing Jurassic Park journey, a boat ride, when I could be looking at dinosaurs and then they're like, oh, you've got a thrill ride part coming up. But we we should probably get into that a little bit later. (laughs) I've ridden 20 times, always just wishing maybe this will be the time we go to Hadrosaur Cove. Something (laughs) always goes wrong. What a surprise. Uh, It's just, I don't know why they keep on building these theme park rides where things go wrong. I know, you think with the big budgets, they could just fix it and everything would be fine but no we are today talking about jurassic park the ride which is of course at three different parks around the world we'll be mostly talking about the universal hollywood version but there is also a version at japan as well as orlando which are pretty much the same rides with a few differences we will talk about throughout the episode Uh, and there is another version in singapore which is quite different in that it's a river rapids raft ride rather than the traditional boat uh but that's the only one i haven't experienced so i'm not too sure how different it is first person but i am lucky enough to experience all the other versions including jurassic world the ride which i'm sure i'll have a vent about later in the show but how many of them have you ridden before dom i have ridden the hollywood version mm-hmm. and that's it the original I, I, one yeah. yeah i have been uh to Universal Japan, Um, but literally every time I went there, it was around the same time every year, and Japan pretty much seemed to stagger their Mm. refurbishments. It was always going to be something, like at both Tokyo Disney and Universal Japan, there always seems to be one major ride closed. Yeah, It's not like most parks where, you know, at some point in the year, the busy periods, everything's open, especially like when I went with you and Jurassic Park, the ride was closed, was right in the middle of summer. Yeah. And it was ungodly hot. But for some reason, Jurassic Park was the one ride closed in the entire park. Yeah, it, I, I don't know why it kept on being down whenever I went. It was probably just a stroke of bad luck. Because mm. I think I've been three times now. Uh, one, no, twice. twice yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just both been closed. Yeah. So, and I love that attraction. When I it's wrote great, it yeah. at Hollywood, it's great. So I've just gotten some strokes Shame. of bad luck. <laughs> but yeah, um, so the attraction we... We'll be mostly talking about the Hollywood version because it's the one both of us have written and because it's the original and the other ones aren't that different apart from Singapore. So there's not that much to talk about in regards to those, but let's jump right into it. Jurassic Park, the novel was released by Michael Crichton in 1990, but Spielberg knew that this was going to be a good book and would turn into a good franchise because he actually bought the theme park and film rights to this book before it was even published. Ah. So he just went, that's going to make for a good ride. I I think it was based off like a short story that he extended out to a novel and he bought it. Um, So design and development work on Jurassic Park, the ride began in November of 1990, which was six years before the ride would open and incredibly over three years before the movie was released. So the ride pretty much started work before the film did. Wait, so the book came out in 1990 and then they were just like, damn, let's get on that. I guess that makes a lot of sense because it's very easy to turn a story that's all about a theme park into Mm -hmm. a theme park attraction. So (laughs) Exactly. And Spielberg had, from what I heard, rang the people at Universal Creative when he was reading the book. He was like, this is going to make an awesome ride. Forget about the movie, you know, one of the most critically acclaimed movies that I'm going to release in a few years' time. The ride of this is going to be spectacular. Look, I'm sure it was more, this is going to make a squillion dollars. Spielberg, the big bucks winner himself. Um, So, which explains a lot. This is, well, the fact that the ride was in production at the same time as the movie explains why when you kind of think about the attraction doesn't really fit with the film itself. Mm. Um, So if you think about it, it's in the film, you go to the park in Costa Rica, but the park isn't open to guests yet. It's still going through its kind of test and adjust phase and something goes wrong. 
Oh, what a surprise! <laughs> um, the version of the ride, of course, the ride is open in Jurassic Park. So we'll explain a little bit of that. So the ride is designed in a world where Jurassic Park actually opened and we are the lucky guests going along for the ride. So this is set after Jurassic Park, the film, where Hammond sees his mistakes and goes, nah, let me try again. So (laughs) in Universe, Hammond approaches Universal Studios Hollywood and says, my second Jurassic Park would be a great thing to build on your back lot in your theme park. So the story is Jurassic Park, the Universal Hollywood version, is actually built in universe in Universal Studios Hollywood. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) All these layers of it's connected. We gotta go deeper. (laughs) Um, uh, So as you go in, that is kind of explained through the queue. It's one of those things where it's easy to miss. But Mm. in the queue, Hammond says, we made a few mistakes the first time, but this time it will be better. So he's admitting that people got eaten by T-Rexes. People, you know, got destroyed. Lives were destroyed. Tens, hundreds of millions of dollars are wasted. But this time, I'm sure it will be fine. Have you read the book at all? No. Have you? I've read a bit of it. So I read sort of the start. I I find it really hard to get through books. I just unfortunately (laughs) don't have the time and attention span for it. I I really... I'd be um, a perfect candidate for audiobooks, mm. but I, I just haven't. I'm sure Jurassic Park would be out there on audiobooks. Yeah, somewhere. definitely. Uh, I haven't heard too many reviews about the book and how it compares in regards to the film because, you know, a lot of the time where a film is based on a book, it kind of is usually the film is like, eh, read the book, it's better. But I haven't really heard that a ton in regards to Jurassic Park. It, it's quite similar, mm. but I feel that the um, the book seems to get into more of the the human side of things. Mm. So it's about how sort of dangerous the park is. Um, Each person has a really strong emotion that's tied to them. Hammond is just relentless. Mm. Um, He, and it really sort of accents as to how he got this far. Like he's making deals behind the scenes with Uh, shadow governments and things like that to try and get through. So it's like, I just interesting because I can't think of Hammond not being Richard Attenborough, this kind of like, old grandpa type guy mm. who just he just wants to make a good park guy yeah. <laughs> sorry that a few people died along the way i'm sure it'll be fine the second one no one's gonna die right in the book hammond is like you know how he's like all oh, all oh, white suit white hat yeah, yeah. i'm such a good guy just imagine like yeah the dark side of walt disney like oh, i just want to get this man. done yeah oh, interesting yeah so it's a a cool sort of contrast yeah. and it sort of focuses more on the characters and with a book you have more time to flesh it out and there's yeah, also true. a cool introduction where someone like is working in a hospital and then they come in they've like got claw marks all over them they're like what's this and it sort of gets you hyped up yeah, for yeah, it so interesting um, yeah but i highly recommend the book yeah cool so, i have to give it a look um, so talking about the ride, back to the ride. This is, if we adjust for inflation, the most expensive Jurassic Park project of all time. What? <laughs> including the films, including Jurassic World, the sequel, the pseudo sequel reboot, stuff like that. Adjusting for inflation. So just not adjusting for inflation for a second. The budget of the first film itself was about $63 million. Mm. So Jurassic Park with that groundbreaking special effects in both animatronics, as well as CGI. The film that still holds up today cost $63 million. This ride, which opened a few years later, cost $110 million. In 90s money? In 90s money. That's like a squillion today's money. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know if there's enough money left on Earth to build this ride ever again. Um, And then, yeah, especially I think the only attraction that trumped it in regards to money spent from universal was hagrid's whoa which opened you know almost over like, 20 years later yeah like last yeah. year so, <laughs> so like 25 years later hagrid's opened and was the first to trumpet in cost wow so it shows you this is a good ride from the start and a lot of that came from spielberg driving it mm. which is why it's such a high quality pretty much any of the attractions we think that have spielberg's name attached like jaws Jurassic Park, even stuff like King Kong he had a hand in. E.T. Orlando E.T., the top <laughs> ride. Um, Welcome home. <laughs> You've arrived. So you have to say the whole thing. Oh, of course. You can't <laughs> cut it. You can't cut it. Um, 
And the reason that a lot of his rides are good was because Spielberg was and still is a creative consultant for Universal Studios, which was a lucrative deal he struck up in the 1980s. Mm. A nice little deal where Spielberg collects 2% of the gross profits from Universal's Florida Park, which nets him, you know, around $30 million a year. Oh, for, so, for doing nothing. For At this stage, yeah, just as a in perpetuity sort of, here you go, here's $30 million a year, here's 2% of our gross ticket sales. Um, I don't, because it's very business-oriented behind the scenes, uh, from what I understand, a lot of that has to do with, like, we want to use your franchises, but we don't want to buy you out at the start mm. for a huge amount of money, and we want you on board, staying with us as that creative consultant, because his ideas are really good. If you think about the rides he's had a major hand in, they are truly like stepping into the film and they've got those big cinematic moments, especially when you compare those to what Universal's coming out with today, not under his creative consultancy. It's a very night and day difference. Oh, yeah. But I can imagine Universal is probably kicking themselves now that they've had to pay him $30 million for, you know, over, what, 28 years at this point and has to keep going. Yeah, that's... Is that edging on close to 10? I'm doing the maths. Oh, here we go. 300 million, 600. That's edging on like $700 million mm. over 28 years. No. More, it'd it'd be, be like 900. Yeah. What? He'd become, <laughs> in the next few years, he'd be coming up on reaching a billion dollars just in ticket sales of a park <laughs> that he doesn't even own. Like, whoa. Uh, so I think we should aim for the Spielberg deal. If we ever get to design something for a theme park, let's not take payment. Let's just go 2% of ticket sales. Easy peasy. That's all you owe us. <laughs> um, so the boat ride itself is actually based off a sequence in the book. So there's a sequence in the book where they're going down a river and they're being attacked by dinosaurs. They're on kind of like a life raft. Ah, uh, yeah. And the reason that this was approved was because at the time Universal didn't have a boat ride and it, boat rides were a staple of good theme parks, even though they were mostly kind of your more shoot the shoots and log flume style than this fully immersive experience. Mm. This is more along the lines of like a Pirates of the Caribbean, but amp the thrill factor up, where Pirates is quite a nice, slow moving, meandering boat ride. This is one of the first to go that fully themed, fully immersive route while being a full-on thrill ride. Well, that's probably the best description for this ride is it's Pirates of the Caribbean but replace the pirates with dinosaurs. dinosaurs. And if there's one thing scarier than pirates, it's dinosaurs. That is true. Have you ever been on a cruise ship and seen a boat full of dinosaurs heading towards you? It's horrifying. <laughs> um, so the ride would open up in 1996 and at the ride's grand opening celebration, Jeff Goldblum was there. Um, and Sp Steven Spielberg was there as well. So Steven Spielberg was one of the first to get on the ride until it got to the top and he got off because he didn't want to go down the drop because he was too scared. <laughs> so he, I love how only he can get away yeah, with that. If, could you imagine just a normal guest being like, I really want to ride Jurassic Park, but I don't want the drop. And the ops just going, okay, that's fine. We'll just yeah. stop it and evac you there. But no, only Spielberg could get away with, you know, that's it's a big, decent length ride. And just getting to the point where it's built up to this. It's got this real nice pacing and then just go, yep, that's it. See ya. The temptation they must have had to just send him Oh, anyway. we'll stop you. Don't worry. <laughs> we'll stop it. Oh, no, the e-stop's not working. But then again, he could probably turn around and say, all right, Remember I'm just going to. Remember that 2%? Now it's 5%. I'm going to get a helicopter, lift up this attraction. It's going over to Go Disney. to my house. <laughs> um, so if you, this ride um, opened up in, as we are saying, 1996. If you get the chance, there is a POV online for the 1997 version of the attraction which is mostly the same as it was mm. when it closed but the animatronics were incredible it's almost like they've toned them back in the years that came after it just looking at the speed of those especially the ones that would jump out at you um towards the middle of the ride was just incredible like that's it's always been a good ride up to the end there was a few issues that sort of came in i um, mean its last few years of operation but at the start, it was incredible, especially when, you know, we're thinking 25 years ago, mm. we now think of animatronics, stuff like the Shaman of Songs and stuff like Hondo as being incredible. 
these weren't, you know, as detailed in facial structure and stuff like that, but their speed of movement is something even we still don't really see today. The most impressive animatronics are the more lifelike humanoid ones now that move like we move. These move like a predator. Like yeah. they would attack the boat and stuff like that. And something we should, just should quickly add there for people in case they're a little bit confused, Jurassic Park is still technically opened at Universal mm. Studios Hollywood just as Jurassic World. Well, that so when, I would almost, Jurassic World I would almost call a different ride. Yeah. We'll talk about it a little bit later, but the close to the original version is still available at Universal Orlando and uh, Universal Studios Japan. Yeah, so for when Luke's talking about the ride being closed, he's more just saying when it transitioned yeah. from uh, Jurassic Park to Jurassic World, just in case anyone's like, what, this ride's it's closed? Open. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're talking about the animatronics quickly. The largest animatronics were ever created at the time were for Jurassic Park, the ride that T-Rex and uh, at the start, the big, long neck dinosaur. Bendy neck dinos. Yeah, the best one. Um, <laughs> those were pretty much the largest full-scale animatronics ever created at the time. Um, and initially, Spielberg, when working on the film, talked with famous Disney Imagineer Bob Gurr on how to design these full-scale animatronics uh. Uh, because he had designed the close-to-full-scale animatronic for the King Kong encounter at uh, the Universal Backlot, which was the top half of King Kong, and he would shake your tram, and it was one of the coolest things ever. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, no longer there. Um, but Gert also helped them on the attraction as well that finally opened. But the biggest issue talking about the animatronics was water. If you ever watch, there's videos of the T-Rex animatronic from the film. When it rained on set, the T-Rex got, like, the jitters. Oh. And he's like shaking out, uncontrollably shaking. And there's these. It was cold. This video. <laughs> Put a blanket on him. Yeah. Well, there's a video of these stage hands essentially whacking him with towels, trying to dry him <laughs> down. So it's pouring and they're just like walloping him with towels. And that kind of proved to be one of the biggest issues. And one of the reasons this ride cost so much was because water and animatronics don't mix. They learned that on the film. But not only on the film, these animatronics don't need to just run once. When you're making mm. a film, it's like an actor. It only needs to get the shot once. It's from a very specific camera angle. You can shoot it well. If it works once, cool, that's it, done. These animatronics needed to work 24-7 and would operate around 16 hours a day, nonstop from open to close of the park, pretty much every day of the year apart from refurbishments. So these needed to be these incredible high-tech Machinery that was also, you could rely on it. Yeah. Um, which I think is probably why in later years they did turn it down a bit because it would be that thing. We can run it at this speed, but we have to refurb it every six months. We can run it at this speed and we have to refurb it every two years. True. Um, and that has to do a lot with the skins of the dinosaurs would like rip and stuff. And I think they go, well, we could replace it. Oh, <laughs> oh, we could we just, just turn make it him back. not move. Um, when I refer to the bendy neck dinos as well, I mean the Brachiosaurus. And Ooh, I was just look quickly looking it up because I had a feeling that something came out recently that they didn't actually exist. Oh, no. Um, but they do. <laughs> oh, um, so they were 30 metres tall, which is quite big. That's I think they're the largest thing that's ever walked on the earth in regards to that. Like the largest living creature that's ever walked the earth. Uh, looking here, it was until oh. recently where Just Seropods, one really big guy just was born. And <laughs> an, abs now. an absolute <laughs> unit. Seropods um, were hmm. apparently bigger, um, which if you look them up, they're like a Brachiosaurus, but they just have a really thick neck. And it, Just to make up for it, oh, you think you're the biggest? Look at my neck. Look at it. It like He's showing me. Oh. It's like a little circle with four legs and then <laughs> and a gigantic a, neck. It's like 90% neck. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but I think this is a good time to take a break. John, Don's going to show me some more thick-necked dinosaurs and we'll be back after this. I'm going to try and figure out which one doesn't exist. I think it's the uh, pterodactyl. Ooh, so we'll, we'll let you know that. when we get back. And we are back. Dom, did you find it? What dinosaur doesn't exist? I did. So uh, pterodactyls, or what they mean by not existing, is 
there is nothing called like the pterodactyl. Yeah, just it's as a creature a, itself. Yeah, it's a genus. It's mm. like calling, oh, this is my, animal. This like is my friend, <laughs> human. So uh, paleontologists usually don't like referring to things mm. as pterodactyls. There is something called like the pterodactylus. That is actually a thing. Um, but <laughs> He's the one guy who's allowed to be called that. Brontosauruses were rumoured to not to have existed hmm. for quite a while until I think you mentioned 2015. Yeah. Um, when they came back. Yeah. It's like Pluto, we're back, baby. <laughs> it's reclassification. Apparently, yeah, they thought it was the same as another dino and not a completely separate thing, but mm. now they're like, no, nah, it is a completely separate thing. You think, you know, it'd be easy to figure out what's happening hundreds of millions of years oh, ago on the planet Earth. Exactly. Just go to Universal Studios Hollywood where they built the real Jurassic Park. They have real dinosaurs exactly. there, Why couldn't guys? they study like, those guys? <laughs> I'd actually love to know a paleontologist's opinion. Thoughts on the film. Like, yeah. how close is it? Or even like this ride. Do you reckon that was one of those moments for many of these people where it's like, I'm becoming a paleontologist because... It looks cool. Yeah. Like, they made it look cool. I'm sure realistically it's like years and years of planning and searching to find like one skeleton or something. But in the film, it's like, oh, you can search for a skeleton and then you're on a helicopter over to Costa Rica and there's real dinosaurs. I do remember reading a thing. It was about like jobs that seem really cool, Mm. but then when you look into them aren't. And I believe it was paleontologists. It's something like 90% getting sanctions and land rights and going through. And it's like, why isn't the film about that? (laughs) That might be the fourth sequel of Jurassic World coming up. And then even then, 10% is just like digging really carefully. You have to like brush away. And so. I like the film's adaptation of what the paleontologists did a little bit better. True, just harass children with <laughs> yeah, razor sharp children. <laughs> um, all right, so let's chat now about the film. Uh, sorry, no, let's chat about the ride. We've just talked about the film. Oh, okay. Um, so we're going to imagine that we are walking into the land to see Jurassic Park. As we always do, we're going to talk a little bit about the weenie and the facade of the attraction. And this one's quite a bit different in that the weenie in the facade is mostly just the ride itself Mm. because you've got that big Jurassic Park gates and that is the entrance to the attraction. But the first thing you're probably going to see is the boat splashing down and creating a monstrously big wave. And the show building oh, as yeah. well. Like, as you're going down the escalator mm, at Hollywood, yeah, Hollywood, it always it impresses dominates me. Like it that. is huge. Yeah. Is there any size? I'm not 100% sure of the size of that building itself, but it really, the way the Starcade kind of wraps, or whatever, Star Evader or something it's called, mm. kind of wraps around it, really shows you the scale of that building. And it really is just the lift hill and the drop. The rest of the attraction is outside. So the building of that scale, and that is one of the few times where they've kind of just gone as a ride. The show scene, the show building is themed to be a show building. Yeah. And that makes sense because it's a theme park. Yeah, it's kind of like the warehouse yeah. for Jurassic Park, which, you know, they'd have warehouses yeah, exactly. to contain these huge dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. So whenever you look at it, you're not going, oh, that's ugly. It yeah. works. And they've um, got that big logo of the dinosaur up the top, the uh, big painting. I think it's got the Jurassic World, the ride logo now, but I think it used to have Jurassic Park, like just the logo. Oh, no, it used to be drop. blank. Um, I think it had the JP, you know, oh, the yeah, in-universe, yeah, yeah. like there's the Jurassic yeah. Park logo and then there's the corporate Backstage logo. Backstage type, yeah. Um, but then in the recent refurbishment, they put like the actual Jurassic Park dinosaur. They painted yeah. it on there as like a yeah, 3D Yeah, the Jurassic decal. World has the T-Rex. Yeah. Like the outline of the t-rex on the side and then where the drop is it's got the logo for Jurassic yeah World. Um, and looking here as well uh just for clarification on something we said earlier it's 85 feet tall uh or yep. 26 meters yeah um and one of the interesting things about the drop in regards to that is you don't really see that much of the drop from mm. off the ride you kind of see the very end and the splashdown and that's it so you can see this monstrous building And every now and then at the bottom of that building, a boat arrives and people get drenched, which is a really cool weenie in that regard of all you know about this ride is that it's called Jurassic Park, the ride. And it has a big drop. Well, it has a big wet moment at the end. That's it. That's all you know. You don't see any dinosaurs before you get on the ride. You don't see anything really. And even Mm. the queue isn't 
that impressive or immersive. It's just got a few screens and you walk around, it's got some like placards talking about Jurassic Park. Um, so luckily in the films, John Hammond was reprised by Attenborough. Um, and that was the part we're talking about where he's like, oh, we won't make those mistakes again. Um, so he writes off all those little dino murders in Costa Rica as a <laughs> wee problem due to sabotage. Meaning that, you know, that big epiphany at the end where he was like, oh, playing God is wrong. I, I shouldn't do that. That's bad. Uh, that wasn't true. He's going to blame it on somebody else and try to play God again. So that's fine. <laughs> that's very true to the books, actually. Yeah. I think he ends up dying in the oh. books. He falls off a cliff or something like that, but mm. it, it ends up being like that whole thing where, yeah, he kept on cutting corners yeah. and all those problems. Came so back to bite him. Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> but in this one, he cuts all the corners and then he gets to try again on one of the biggest theme parks in the world. Oh, look, he's rich. He gets yeah. uh, twice the offerings. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one of the other things you'll notice before you got onto the ride was these big waterfalls and rock work. And this is a cool effect, which we'll come back to later, but these look realistic. It looks like real rock work. It's got this flowing constant water and there's this, all these kinetics with the boats and the waterfall and all this sort of stuff. And it's got that perfect thing where it's like, even if you don't want to ride the ride because you're like Spielberg and scared of the drop or you're scared <laughs> of dinosaurs or something, you can still have an enjoyment of sitting back They've got like a nice little bridge that walks over and you can look down at people. And if your friends or family were on there, it'd be a perfect point, uh, point to grab a picture or something like that of them. So this is all off. So we've got the queue. We've now, imagine we've gone into the queue. We've gone through, we've talked about all of it. But interestingly, the queue, when this ride first opened, the queue was so long. You know how at the bottom part of Universal, there's just some big sound stages yeah. from the Universal backlight? At one point, the queue was so long, it went all the way in and cattle penned in the soundstage before coming back into the theme park. <laughs> oh, boy, a six-hour wait for Jurassic Park. It's yep. short today. <laughs> it's a Wednesday. <laughs> um, all right, so we've done that. We've experienced the queue. We've seen uh, Hammond tell us that nothing will go wrong, which, I, of course, we believe. You didn't say that we went under to get into the queue, the giant Jurassic Park gates from the I, movie. I said that at the start, but yeah. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> that was that was kind of the weenie. It is the, the gates with the flame torches on either side, constantly burning, and that's the entrance to the attraction and still is the entrance, uh, but now it has a Jurassic World and slightly different paint job. Mm. But that classic, pretty much the icon of the film, the gate, is there it doesn't have the wooden gates on it it's just like the archway mm. and it's a really cool place to get a picture and i'm sure there's probably tens of millions of people who've gotten the exact same picture <laughs> of that exact same sign but we've gotten to the front of the queue now we've gotten on the boat and we sit down uh and it's a massive boat it seats five rows of five people Whoa. so 25 people per boat and they're pumping them out constantly um and it starts pretty much nice and slowly with just a simple little lift hill. Mm. Just a nice small one. Wow, this is relaxing. Yeah, exactly. Ah, I'm enjoying this. Thank yeah, you. It's, it's close your eyes and imagine you're, you're there. You're on the ride. Welcome <laughs> to Jurassic Park. Well, that's the part. We go, we go up the small lift hill and we splash some water and we go around the corner and it does the classic time, the ever-flowing river. Come with us to a time before, man, when the river flowed through a newborn world and giants walked the earth. And one of the best moments in any theme park opening of an attraction of all time, it does the welcome to Jurassic Park. Na, and the na, gates na, fly na, open. Na, na, John Williams na. is serenading us with his <laughs> score. And, the, you know, the music swells perfectly. The gates burst open and we get our first glimpse of these beasts. It's got this nice long stretch of water. We've got mist kind of sitting on the water. And then we have... The long neck dino himself, <laughs> who is an ultrasaur. Yeah, um, I, I was looking up. I thought it was a, a brontosaurus and a brachiosaurus. Yeah, oh, brontosaurus and... don't exist. Yeah, true. Oh, no, no, it's after 2015. <laughs> they exist now. Um, but the ultrasaur, and that is the moment of, okay, this is a good ride because it's got that, <laughs> that perfect, like we talk about it and we talk about it a fair bit in the podcast. It's probably something a lot of people go, who cares? But mm. pacing is so important. And it's one of the things where it's like you don't think about pacing when it's done well, but you definitely notice pacing when it's done wrong. If you think about newer universal attractions compared to this, the pacing is the biggest issue. Yeah. Like think about stuff, you know, like Fast and Furious. 
the pacing of that ride is okay. We're on a bus, and now we're in a warehouse, and now we're going down the highway at three hundred miles an hour, being attached to a car, and I still have no idea what's going on. And oh, okay, now the ride's over. The pacing doesn't exist, and then you compare it to something like this, and it's got that perfect buildup. I think we talked about it when we were talking about. Um, Expedition Everest will say yeah. that has some of the best pacing. I would probably say that this has one of the best pacings of any universal attraction of all time well, because of this reveal. It, it follows the standard narrative concepts of you have the introduction, mm-hmm. um, then you have the introduction yep. of characters and settings. So you're it's, in Jurassic yeah. Park. There are dinosaurs. You can see them. You're on a boat. You're on a boat ride. Mm-hmm. You've got all of this context. It's not just going, oh, here's fun straight away. Because yeah. surprisingly, you even though – yeah. yeah, a lot of people think like, oh, I just want to get into the action yeah. straight away. It's not subjecting someone to immediate thrills. Yeah. Like if you have a roller coaster that just drops mm. into a 60 meter drop, as soon as you come out of the station, that's not as fun no, as going up a lift up. hill yeah. for Even a, a minute. lift hill is pacing. Mm. Even a launch is pacing. Yeah. And this is this pacing at the start where it is, like you're saying, like a film, like that classic narrative three-act structure where you start with your introduction. So we're in this introduction. We've got the big, long-necked dinosaur. He sweeps his neck up (laughs) as the music's swelling. (laughs) Um, And that's the part where you're like, cool, we're in Jurassic Park. What's the dinosaur called again? The Ultrasaur. Did he bump his knee? All right, guys, that's (laughs) the end of this week's episode of... That's if he he bonks into your boat, you'll walk off Ultrasaur. (laughs) Sorry. <laughs> Look, this destroyed the pacing of the podcast. <laughs> the importance of pacing, beginning, middle, and end. Uh, so we're still at the beginning. You're continuing around and more dinosaurs are being revealed to you. You see some stegosauruses. I believe there's a mother and like a child stegosaurus and they're up on a rock. Uh, you go around a little bit further and they talk about the importance of the diet we feed our dinosaurs. And then you got two little dinosaurs fighting over a Jurassic Park <laughs> popcorn bucket. I like how they're very self-aware that this yeah. is a theme park and they know that it's not like, you know, ultra clean, pristine. Yeah. And it does sort of slowly introduce that idea that it's like, oh, all of these things are amazingly cared for. And then you see two dinos fighting yeah. over something. Which that- is very theme park. But imagine instead of dinos, it's two seagulls fighting over a popcorn bucket. But it introduces you to the fact that yeah. they don't have full control. Yeah, there this are- is very clearly just a pre-recorded voiceover, what they want you to think. But being a real theme park, and I'm sure everyone listening, including us, know that even in a real park, things go wrong. Yep. <laughs> Not because they're scripted to do so, as in these sort of attractions. 100%. Um. And then, so we've seen our Stegosaurus, we've seen them fighting over the popcorn, and we've round the corner into what is, of course, the highlight of the attraction, Hadrosaur Cove. Oh. So we go nice and cut. Co- oh, no, we're not going oh, to Hadrosaur happening? Cove because a parasaur bursts out of the water at the last second and sends our boat completely off course. Now, the weird thing about this is we, the idea is you're going to Hadrosaur Cove, and it's a really cool thing to have that idea that you're being sent off track. Mm. For some reason in the Hollywood one, I can't remember too much of the others. There's like a boat sitting at the entrance to Hadrosaur Cove with nobody in it. Mm. Wouldn't it make more sense for there to be nothing there so it looks like you can go into it? Because it looks like you're just going to bonk into the boat and stop. Yeah, this part always got me Mm. because like they, you can kind of get what they're going when you talk about it. Um, But when you, the execution, the Hadrosaur sort of pops up it does a little scare bit you because he's, as he's well. yeah. I think that's that timing that we're talking about as well is a little bit different now, but it is impressive because the hadrosaur is completely underwater mm. and it's a massive animatronic and he bursts out and it makes sense that he kind of sends your boat off course, but it needed to be a little bit sooner and that boat shouldn't really be there. And then maybe there should be something covering the way that we actually go that we mm. burst through or something like that because it is a really cool effect. But I honestly don't know if everyone would even understand that that's what's happening, that we are meant to be going straight. The parasol bursts out and sends us the wrong way. Yeah, it's like they've got the effect where you can hear the voiceover going on behind yeah. you. So Welcome you get that idea. Yeah, but I, I just feel like if 
it's probably a technology of the time sort of problem. Yeah. Like if it was a modern ride, you'd have the the boat rock a little bit yeah. more and then you'd have it, as you say, bump into a gate that then yeah. opens and starts flowing you in yeah. um, and maybe an alarm that goes off immediately. Yeah, like, I think you the, are not, this is yeah, a restricted exactly. area. So. And that's what we do. We go into that restricted area. So we head off course into a backstage area of Jurassic Park. So this part isn't the nice manicured gardens and things that guests are meant to see. And the first thing that tells you that you're not in a guest area is remember that rock work I was telling you about right at the start before you enter? You actually get to see the back side mm. of this rock work. <laughs> and it is just a facade. You know, it's got all this metal framework around it and stuff like that. And that is one of those like little nice little moments that shows you you've gone from what you're meant to see to be now somewhere that you're not meant to see. Wait, is that scaffolding meant to cover up the rock work? No, that scaffolding is the backside of the rock work. I never put yeah. that together. <laughs> so ah. the rock work at the start, which has the big waterfalls and is just behind the giant drop, mm. that's the same rock work we're seeing the backside of when we go into the ha- the carnivore, uh, what's it called? Uh, carnivore. Uh, Raptor containment. Yeah, uh, uh, carnivore like- canyon. Oh, is yeah. the area, and then we go to Raptor Containment after that. And that is the actual backside of Rockwork. So it's meant to be this. You go through this fully themed immersive land mm. where, apart from Hogwarts, which you can see on the top of the hill, <laughs> and a uh, parking garage with Super Silly Funland on top of it, oh. you're completely immersed in the story yep. until you get to this part. And, you know, it's no longer nice rock work and lush jungle. It's concrete, barren concrete and scaffolding and stuff like that and it's meant to show that difference we're getting into as we're talking about pacing the next act of the film something's gone wrong (laughs) oh no um and then the voiceover is telling you that like oh no we need to get you out of there sort of thing um and you've got this cool part where there's an animatronic of a raptor like in one of the boats and it's been like shredded up and he's in there just eating away at stuff Mm. um and then next to that boat Happens to be a pair of Mickey ears. <laughs> yeah. so, it's insinuating that the boat has essentially been eaten. Yeah, because um, of the Mickey ears. That raptor. Oh, and then it's it, Michael Eisner. <laughs> I liked in the, they updated that for the 50th. It was a nice gold sparkly Mickey ears. Mm. I'm not sure if they did it for the 60th, but I know they definitely did for the 50th. They updated it to be the uh, golden anniversary Mickey ears. Um, but then we got this part, the tension's really building now, and this you hear this giant, like, screeching noise, and it draws your attention up to the right, and you see, tearing on the top of the edge of a building is the Jurassic Park Jeep. Now, this is one of the few direct throwbacks to the film in the ride, because mm. if you remember in the film, it's a Jeep teetering on the edge of, like, a canyon, and then it goes down, and it slides down. Ah, uh, yeah. Yep, and that is pretty much exactly what happens. The it starts teetering and it makes this massive noise and it falls. It sh- slams down, sparks are flying out. It splashes everywhere. into the water yeah, it as well. lands in the water and then falls towards the boat and is just caught at the last second. Mm. And it is an awesome effect. Um, but it didn't usually work was the issue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been on this ride not a ton of times, but I think I can only remember this working once. I don't even remember what year it was, but I remember it not working more than I remember it working, and I mm. haven't even been to this park that many times. I went there in 2008, and I I remember it working, um, mm-hmm. but I think it was a very complicated... I think 2008 was probably the time I would have ridden it and it was working as mm. well then, yeah. I think the problem is, is what you said, it's going in and out of water mm. all day. You're eventually going to have a lot more wear and tear and aging than you would yeah. have just a regular effect that's yeah. um, staying dry. Almost the... Part where it falls down the building was almost on like a roller coaster track sort yeah. of thing. So it would make sense. A lot of the time you'd ride it and the boat was just in the water. Uh, this effect was the so, car. Sorry. Uh, sorry. <laughs> the boat was always in the water, hopefully. Uh, the car was usually in the water. Um, and this was one of the best effects when it works, but it had a real tendency to fail. So this doesn't exist in any of the other versions of the attraction. It has been replaced by like the falling crate. Yeah. Which I think is meant to have like a dinosaur in it. And then as your boat goes under, it falls towards your boat and you really hope you're not 
really tall. Which is far more reliable. Yeah, I not feel. as cool of an effect, but I've never not had that effect work. And I've ridden the other versions of the attraction more than the Hollywood one. Yeah. So that's telling of it itself. Um, so you go past this and two of the spitting dinosaurs come and start to spit at you. And if you get unlucky, you'll probably get wetter from the spitting dinosaurs than you will from <laughs> yeah. the final drop because they seem to just pick like one person and just straight in the face. Annihilate. Them. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then we go through and this is where it's building again. We've got a voiceover coming over the intercom and saying, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to attempt to evacuate you on the level platform ahead. Please remain seated. And then you're going up. The steep ramp, which is the second lift hill. Remember that baby one at the start? Yep. But this is the big daddy lift hill. Because you're realizing, just as any lift hill, but this one's a little different because you've not seen the drop. You're realizing every meter I go up is a meter I have to come back down at the other end. (laughs) And this is a steep lift hill. Um, So you're going up. You've got these lights flashing, these beacons. You've got all these banging and clanging and the noises. We've got... The next sign of a dinosaur, which is one springing out at you um, from the left-hand side of the boat. Then you've got another one that slides down from the roof, almost like the Predator in Great Movie Ride. Oh, yeah. Um, And then it's, you know, bursting through the ceiling and they're rah, rah, clawing at you, clawing at you. Um, And then we're meant to be getting to this point and then we're going to unload. But we can't because, surprise, surprise, there was toxic gas poison in the area, which meant we couldn't stop. Something else has gone wrong. Which seems like a really weird way to say, like, oh, no, we can't evacuate you. To say we can't evacuate you because of a toxic gas leak. (laughs) Not just because we couldn't get to you or the boat was moving too fast. It just seems like a weird extra layer to add to it. But then this is the part where you're like, "Uh uh-oh, because you hear this earth-shattering roar and up above you the first glimpse you get of a full-size t-rex oh yeah he bursts through the roof and starts gnashing at your boat and that's when you realize that you are essentially planning to be the t-rex's lunch the t-rex has escaped from wherever he's meant to be and he's wreaking havoc in whatever this building is i know why they have the toxic gas Mm. um and it would literally only be so that they can have a cool countdown to when it reaches oh, yeah. critical do, capacity. Do, you need to get out, whatever you You've do. Got 10, 9. <laughs> where if it was like, oh, we're sending people after you. Oh, no, there's too many dinos. That's not as cool. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> um, so he's, he smashes through the roof, sparks are flying everywhere, and we're building up to this grand finale. Um, so we've got exactly what you're talking about. There's a waterfall rushing water in and a countdown and flashing lights. Yes. A warning of this impending shutdown because, of course, it wasn't bad enough that you had gone in the wrong area. It wasn't bad enough that the raptors were spitting at you. <laughs> it wasn't bad enough that a T-Rex was chasing you. The gas is going to kill you, essentially, yeah, true. if you don't get out of there fast enough. Um, so you get to the point where you're meant to unload, but the control desk is like abandoned and everything's smashed around it and it's like sparking and flashing like that. And the emergency countdown starts at 10. Yeah. And the final, you know, it's building to that because you know what's going to happen at one. The music you, is yeah, intense. It's here. like an over like bearing on your senses. So the boat is going towards this waterfall, which I'm not sure what the in universe vo- reason to have a waterfall in this building is, but we'll ignore it because it's one of a the coolest finales it's to arrive. A hydro station. <laughs> um, so we're going, we're doing our countdown, we're teetering over what's an incredible drop. The 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2. And just as we get towards the end, you're going over the edge in a perfect timing. The T Rex, full scale T Rex, swings out from behind a waterfall, bursts through, and it literally feels like. He's breathing on you. Oh, it feels yeah. like he is about to yeah. eat you. Inches away from your <laughs> yeah, face. Exactly. Um, and then you hit the 84-foot drop in pitch black, straight down into the lagoon, where you get that final splash effect that you have been knowing is coming from the beginning of the ride, which yeah. is one of the cool things. You know that the only way out of whatever happens is a big splash at the end. You don't know what's gonna happen, you don't know if anything's gonna go wrong. You just know you're going to get wet at the end. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
and they- it, mm-hmm. it is that perfect pacing. You know, mm. once you hit that third act, I don't think we mentioned that the third act is pretty much once you get into the building when yeah. things are really going wrong. Yeah. Um, it just that intensity that they've been building mm-hmm. up. You know, in act two, you can sort of see things are going wrong, but yeah. you're not a part of it. Act three, you are in yeah. the middle of everything going yeah. wrong. You fear for your life. As you said, it's you've got the- genuinely scared. The yeah. T-Rex is genuinely scary with how close it gets to you. The raptors, yeah. the Dilephosaurus, yeah. the T-Rex, the gas, the music, the countdown. <laughs> Everyone wants <laughs> you dead, essentially. <laughs> it's just- it all builds up and the the orchestral soundtrack is mm. just like that increasing mm. crescendo that's like me yeah. and you're like in, you know like a normal ride where something goes wrong in Jurassic Park the ride everything goes wrong yeah. <laughs> um, so you've got you you drop down your 51 degree drop which interestingly there's a video of this exact drop built at the Vacoma factory before the ride was built just to test it, because at its time it was one of the highest and steepest water ride drops in the world. Yeah. Just to be, you know, okay, that's safe. People can ride it. And <laughs> there's this awesome video of just in the middle of like a desert, a giant Jurassic World the ride drop oh, built. Wow. Uh, Jurassic Park the ride <laughs> drop built. Um, and then I like you've built, you've, you know, you've got drenched, you're just slowly coming around the corner to the end, and then it's this concludes your tranquil journey through the world of the dinosaurs. <laughs> Please join us again soon on your next visit. Universal Studios Hollywood. <laughs> nice. Which I like that the ending's being like, yep, nothing happened, I'm sure. Like, yeah. <laughs> I like that the idea is that they know that these guests are stuck being attacked by dinosaurs because they're talking to them over the intercom, but not enough to welcome them back and be like, are you okay? Are you okay? No, that was tranquil. Yeah. Thanks for riding. It was relaxing. Well, I'm wondering how you even get back to there. Like, is there another cave where you could have come out? Yeah. Or is that just always the conclusion? <laughs> it, it's, it's not something goes wrong. Something goes right. And Hammond's just like, yeah, <laughs> this is what they want. It was planned all along. <laughs> um, but that's we mostly talked about the Hollywood version of the attraction. The other ones are quite similar, mm. uh, at least the main two. So Islands of Adventure, which opened with the park, in May 28th of 1999, as well as Universal Studios Japan, which opened with that park in March 31st, 2001. Both are basically the same as the Hollywood version with a few smaller differences, including that falling box we were talking about before. Yep. Um, But then the Universal Studios one, for some reason, was like, "Eh, you don't get wet enough. And for a while there, I think it was around 2007, they turned on a switch that essentially meant you got drenched. <laughs> like if you've ever seen the drop, sometimes the boat just splashes water and then other times they've got these jets at the side that go like, yeah. and fire the water up and it all just comes down on you. <laughs> and you may as well throw a bucket over yourself, like that level of getting wet. Because apparently with that and Popeyes and Bildrap barges at, Universal Islands of Adventure. Universal likes you to not just get wet, but to get drenched. Saturated. Maybe you, you buy more merch or something. You buy, buy a new shirt. Buy a town. Exactly. Well, the only I did once buy a shirt at Hong Kong Disneyland because I was There's on no there. Water rides there. Oh, but there is when you're out in the open and oh, it starts the torrential. Water ride. <laughs> I was. It was on Slinky Dog Spin. Oh. Um, maybe I'll, (laughs) I can talk about this in more detail, but I got stuck and there weren't enough people to run it. So they just left me in the rain and the cast members (laughs) went under the covering and were waiting for more people. (laughs) But it was about five minutes of me just getting pelted (laughs) down and then they ran it. And then I had to go and get a shirt from Mystic Manor, uh, which I still have to this day. That reminds (laughs) us of when we got stuck on DC Rivals at Movie World on the final break run for no joke about Five oh. minutes in the torrential <laughs> rain. I thought that's that riding- the wettest I've ever been at a theme park, and I lived in Florida, which yeah. torrential rains every single day. <laughs> there, there is an experience that I think all people who ride roller coasters want to have, and that's mm. being on a coaster during the rain. You think that'd be awesome? No, it's rain like is needles sticking oh. into your. And like Luke has hair that he can cover his face and then it will just hit his hair and it will like absorb the rain. As a bald dude, it's like needles and getting acupuncture in your skull. It's like getting shot. Um, But the biggest change to any version of Jurassic Park the Ride would come with Singapore, as we're quickly talking about uh, earlier, in that it's a rapids version rather than a boat ride. So most of the story Mm. beats are the same, but it's 
almost like a 1.5 of the attraction where it's got just enough different that I'd almost call it a different ride. But of course, the one I would call a completely different ride is Jurassic World, the ride. Yeah. Which I know you haven't been on it, so I won't talk too much about it because it's hard to have that back and forth. But um, in 2019, Jurassic Park at Hollywood saw a huge refurbishment and got rid of Jurassic Park and became Jurassic World based off the new films with Chris Pratt and all of that. Um, It truly is a different ride, so I don't think it's worthy of a whole other episode, but it's the same ride system and some of the beats are the same just because it's kind of a cheap way to redo a ride. Yeah. But it is different. Um, A few thoughts about it. I I wrote it a few weeks after opening. I think some of these may have been fixed or changed or reevaluated since then. Um, But the gates at the beginning, we're talking about that awesome pacing. That's gone. Mm. Rather than the gates and the ultrasaur swinging up its neck, you've got this, which is a cool effect, a Mosasaurus scene where you've got screens on either side and you've got that big, giant, water-dwelling Mosasaurus that's, like, slamming into the glass. And then at the last one, the glass breaks and you get drenched. Yeah. And if you get unlucky, you will get wetter on that than you will on the final drop because that thing just sprays you. Well, they've done it. uh, I've seen a POV of it. There's a really cool effect where it hits the glass, causes a crack, but in where it causes the crack, it starts spurting out water. But it's still a screen. It's really cool. Yeah, and that is a cool effect. But uh, I like that point, but I think it should have been more in the middle of the ride. Oh, definitely. It shouldn't, like, the whole idea of Jurassic World, that opening of the old version, Jurassic Park, was building you up to the bigger, Mm. scarier dinosaurs. Where this one's like, nah, boom, boom, boom. Something goes wrong almost immediately. Well, let's talk about all of the additions and then we can go back and talk about what we don't Um, like. I haven't talked about, I won't break it down in too much detail because it, could almost be another entire episode itself because it is so different. Yeah. Um, but we've we've lost that perfect pacing. And the other major change, you've got the same thing where you're going through and something goes wrong. You go into the carnivores. You see the Indominus Rex's cage. It's been broken open. There's scratches and blood all over the walls. It's very gruesome. Yeah, that one is. <laughs> like, it was kind of insinuated in Jurassic Park. And then there's like, eh, people are more mature now. They're, they like yeah. blood and guts. Um, and then the big change is at the top. You don't have this big surprise reveal of the T-Rex anymore where the water parts and you've got him sweeping up to greet you. You've kind of got this, at least when I was there, I think they've changed it. On the left-hand side is the Indominus Rex on a stick, Mm. a.k.a. just the head, and he doesn't do anything. (laughs) He just sits there. But the T-Rex is still the original animatronic, but he kind of like goes roar, roar, roar at the Indominus Rex and then roar at the people. So you round the corner and you can see them both and they don't really interact or anything. It looks like they should be fighting. They're kind of just like having a conversation, (laughs) it looks like. And then they look at the people and go, oh, what are you doing here? I'm going to chomp at you for a little second. Um, Apparently they are reworking that scene because the Indominus Rex was actually meant to be an animatronic, but it wasn't quite ready in time. So I'm not sure if that is the animatronic was just left in B mode. Yeah. Or it was just a statue while they finished working on the animatronic. I have seen a POV and I may be misremembering this Mm because I believe in the Nap Rides episode where I was talking about um, Marie climbing down the stairs. Not a Nap Ride. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was talking about Marie going down the stairs and singing Meow. Um, I sort of mashed that whole attraction together. Keep in mind, I was napping through it. Yeah, that's um, probably why. So I did find uh, that that was just the original version of Big Bang Beat and mm. it wasn't as exciting. Um, but as we, with the Jurassic World, um, looking at a POV, it looks like the, what's the scary, the Indominus uh, Rex? Yeah. Um, it looks like it sort of runs over Ooh. and harasses the boat. Then the T-Rex comes out, okay. then they bicker, and then you <laughs> fall. Um, I'm going to eat them. No, I'm going to eat them. The problem is it's a retrofit, yeah. and I, I really think it would have been better if on one side you have the Indominus yeah. Rex come out. It goes to bite at you. Then on the other side you have the T-Rex come out, and then they both they like actually clash. Yeah. And imagine they clash over you, and then you fall. Then like you, you don't know the yeah. drop's coming. But you you can't do that no. because that building's already made. Yeah. It's already to spec. Well, even if you look at, you know, what the Indominus Rex is scale-wise compared to the T-Rex, it's not as good because mm. the building was designed around the T-Rex. So the T-Rex can be big and 
need that big structure to swing him in and stuff like that. The Indominus Rex had to be retrofitted in and all they could do was how much space they had, unfortunately. They've also moved things around a lot. So when you're in the top section where it's like you're in an actual sort of maintenance Mm. bay and there's the toxic gas. Now there's just lots of dinosaurs and I don't really get the point because it's like you're in an exhibit. I think it's almost like blue or something is broken loose and because Chris Pratt comes onto the screens, which is weird because down the road, Chris Pratt is also in a screen-based ride, but he's Star-Lord instead of (laughs) whatever Chris Pratt and Dinosaur Land is called. He's also at... Oh, no, he's not in Legoland, is he? No. no. So his character's at Legoland, but it's a cheaper voice actor. He's going to be, like, his characters will be in four attractions in the US. Jurassic World, mm. the Legoland attractions, uh, Galaxy And three Spin. of them are at different properties. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. So, <laughs> good good on you. Do you reckon yeah. he gets 2% of the ticket sales as oh, well? If he did, he'd be a squillionaire. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I... As you're saying, you've seen a more updated version than when I wrote it uh, Mm. last year, but I am looking forward to seeing it hopefully when it's done because it's not that it's a bad ride. It's just not as good of a ride as what it replaced. My my problem is exactly what you said. The pacing is just way off. So it almost goes as if you get on the ride, you do act two, then act Act one, one, then act three, Mm. um, where it used to open up and it was like, here's your introductions to dinosaurs. It's like, here's the Mosasaurus. And I can get what they're getting at. They're like, look at this majestic beast. Oh, he's very strong. This is showing that the dinosaurs are bad, but it just goes into it straight away. But then it relaxes. I feel it's almost (laughs) as if that should have been the middle of the ride, but that's the only straight part of the track that they had. And they didn't want to change the track because it would be too expensive, so it just got put there instead. Mm. Like, where that was, that reveal, it was designed as just a long straight because you had that long view towards the building and the dinosaurs on the left and the right and that. So those are cool. Each element of that ride is cool, but they don't meld as well into a finished attraction. But Island Nubar outside does have some good frozen... uh, uh, pina coladas. So, oh, oh, it, yeah, ten out of ten. ten <laughs> the best attraction in the world. Um, Review time's favorite attraction, yeah. Island Nubar. <laughs> it was, it was good. So if you go there, few pina coladas, a few little rides on Jurassic World. When we get to go to a theme park oh. in twenty forty six, they'll be too old to drink by then. Like walk in yeah. frame, like oh, I love Jurassic World three. <laughs> uh, but then. Probably that brings us to the end. I think of most important. What are final thoughts of Jurassic Park the ride? I I absolutely love the original. I think that the Jurassic World is a great ride, Mm. um, but it definitely was one step forward, two steps back. So I think, you know, there are things that you could eventually update, but you could have literally done what they did with the later half of the attraction and just kept the start. Like the start part works yeah the the mosasaurus didn't need like, to be there exactly it's not as if in jurassic world there isn't an ultrasaur and there isn't this it feels mm. like they wanted to create an entirely new attraction and they had developed all these ideas and then they were told that they have to retrofit them into this yeah like that you know if that was a jeep ride attraction or something which at one point jurassic park was going to be a jeep ride yeah if you had a jeep ride um, you know, like an EMV style ride where you've stayed got those similar story beats to what you have in the boat ride of Jurassic World and plonk it down next to Jurassic Park, they would complement each other. Where unfortunately, Jurassic World detracts. But luckily, there's still two places around the world you can ride the really good version. And I'm looking forward to hopefully sometime soon getting to try the Singapore version and yeah. see how it compares because it is completely different. Oh, yeah. Um, the whole idea of a raft, I'm not sure how... I hate to say it for the hundredth time in the episode, but I'm not sure how the pacing will work in that you can't direct people's attention as easily in a raft mm. as you can in a boat where everyone's facing the same way. But hopefully one day we'll get to ride on one of those. But if you have one of your favorites, what's yours? If you've ridden them, you've been lucky enough to ride them all. What's your favorite version of Jurassic World or Jurassic Park out there? Oh, Let just quickly. Oh. There's also the new Jurassic Park ride coming to Universal Beijing. Um, but isn't it like uh, a dark so, ride? Yes. So the Jurassic World ride coming to Universal Beijing is the Spider-Man ride system. Mm. Uh, it's going to be the major attraction in the park, but it is a dark ride. Yeah. Uh, they don't be have a water ride in that park. I believe it's because it gets really cold in Beijing for yeah. a major part of the year. Uh, but I'm looking forward to that. That opens next year. 
who knows when we'll be able to get out there, as you were yeah. saying um, before. <laughs> but I'm excited to see that. Uh, that's an entire land from the ground up themed around Jurassic World. So it makes sense. It'll be good to see what they do with that from the beginning, not retrofitting it into something. Yeah. We've also got the Velocicoaster opening in Orlando next year, which may, but hopefully doesn't mean they're going to retheme the entire land into be Jurassic World mm. because I haven't seen too much talking about it, but I don't know if Jurassic World at Hollywood is as praised as Jurassic Park was. No, I don't think so. Anyway, at least from what I've seen, it's still a good ride, but it's not as good as what it replaced. But that's going to do it for this week's episode. If you want to let us know anything, you can always get in touch with us. I'm at Review Time Luke on Twitter. I'm at Review Time Dom. Uh, you can get in touch with both of us on Twitter at Time Review or everywhere else at Review Time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Next week, Dom's going to be coming to us with a huge topic. It's too big for a single ride. Any sneak peeks? Uh, it's a special administrative region. Ooh. So, <laughs> so, well, well, not the uh, the park. <laughs> well, the park is in a special administrative region. We'll get him to explain that a little bit better <laughs> next week, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. See ya. And I'll see you in the movies. The Review Time Podcast is brought to you by Luke Carroll and Dominic Lacey. We are produced gratefully by Luke Shakatano. A big special thanks also goes out to our patrons, Jake Cool, Jane McRoberts, Jeremy Kufakis, Louis Najira, Peter Matthews, Ruben Mays, Ray Dredge, John Madison, Michael Pinn, Janine Kerr, CG Lemonade, Josh Guilas, Tim Descenzo, Josie McDougall, Stephen Shorrock, Matt Sakal, Norman Lacey. Please use wisely. And to you, the listener. The Review Time Podcast will be back next week.